all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gerson, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me in the studio today, I have Dr. Kanal Bhatia, who is an Assistant Professor of Neurology, also at UMMC. And we're going to be talking about strokes today and really all about them. What increases your risk? How can we prevent them? How can we recognize the signs uh, when someone may be having a stroke? If you have a question, a comment, you have a story you want to share, we would love to, to do that today. Or you can always send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. You know, we were talking before the show, and I think this is the first show in in the six-plus years I've been doing this one that we focused on stroke, which is just bananas to me because it is so um, vitally important. And regular listeners of the show know how much I love prevention, and this is absolutely something that we can put a lot of focus into preventing these types of things. But let's just kind of start with telling us a little bit about yourself, how sure. you found yourself here in Mississippi, because you're not from here, but we're no. glad you're here. Thank you. And what you do at UMC. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I am a neurocritical trained uh, physician. Um, I work in the Department of Neurology. Uh, I pretty much take care of all the critical illness, neurological critical illness in the ICU setting. But I do um, enjoy uh, taking care of stroke patients. Uh, and that is a big part of my work at the university also. Um, me and my wife actually moved here last year, um, and uh, we found this wonderful opportunity at the university. Our, um, and the main driver was actually um, uh, I enjoy teaching students uh. and medical residents, and uh, it just aligned very well. And um, uh, I've been here for a year, a little over a year now, and um, the journey so far has been really nice. Did you bring this heat with you? Can you can you send it uh, back? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it is not typically this hot, uh, so this is not our norm. We're just showing out for you um, okay. for for this summer here. So you mentioned kind of this uh, passion for taking care of, of stroke patients, and if we have listeners that you know are not as familiar with the word stroke or not quite sure what that actually means, what is a stroke? Right, right. That's a very good question, actually. So uh, commonly, some people call it as brain attack, mm-hmm. um, and essentially, what that means is, is is lack of blood flow to the brain to a particular part of the brain. Um, and that manifests in certain specific signs and symptoms. 
Um, now that blockage of uh, blood flow in the brain could be from a clot or from a thrombus, uh, or it could be just your vessels are so narrow from um, all the risk factors um, that the, the the brain is not getting enough blood flow. Mm-hmm. And um, as the demand increases, that flow just cesses and you get these stroke symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that we've kind of started to use that word brain attack to get the, the message out to folks because heart attack is such a kind of well-known phenomenon and people kind of understand it means that muscle of my heart is not getting enough blood flow and so it starts to die and that's what's going on with our brain as well it's not getting enough blood flow from a variety of reasons and you mentioned some of those and if we think back to our blood vessels being like uh, roadways for our body, you know, something is stopping up the roadway or one of the lanes got closed on the interstate. And so now you're trying to get down a much, a much more narrow uh, road um, or that road kind of just pops open sometimes, you know, because there are different kinds. And, you know, if your brain is not getting oxygen like it should, if it's not getting blood like it should, then it's not getting oxygen like it should. Correct. And it just can't, it can't function, function you know. Right. And I tell my kids all the time when I make them wear their helmet, I'm like, you only got one head, friend. Like you got two elbows, but you only got one head. So we got to protect that. And if the brain is being starved of, of nutrients and oxygen, that's a significant problem. That's right. And that's a, a good anal- analogy that you did put. Um, so for heart, we used to use word time is muscle, mm-hmm. the phrase. And uh, just embarking on the same concept, uh, I think uh, time is a brain concept mm-hmm. came forward and uh, – that's pretty much used very commonly uh, when we have, whenever we talk about stroke, how fast you need to recognize symptoms and uh, come to the closest emergency department to get assessment. So, yeah, the, the underlying pathology is, is pretty yeah. much the same. It's we got to get that road fixed. Exactly. And we got to get it fixed stat. We can't yep. be letting it um, stay congested like that. So are there different kinds of strokes? So again, very good question. Yes. Uh, So the most common that people always relate to is the clotting kind of stroke, which uh, technically is called an ischemic stroke. But uh, a a fair fraction, actually close to 15%, is a bleeding kind, which Mm -hmm. we call hemorrhagic strokes. And it it occurs because a blood vessel just ruptures. So although the uh, presentation can be pretty much similar um, but the underlying problem is that your vessel just ruptured and the brain now doesn't have enough blood flow mm-hmm. to that part of the brain. Uh, whereas the common kind, it's actually a clot that just blocked your vessel. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there are, they, these are the two common types that we have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, ischemic, which just the word ischemia usually means there's a lack of, of flow, a lack of oxygenation and blood flow to that particular area. So, that word is used in multiple contexts, but in this respect, it is that clot that is stopping good oxygenated blood from getting to a certain part of the brain. The other is hemorrhagic, which if you break that down to the word hemorrhage, that means bleeding into somewhere. And so you may, folks may go, but you just said you're not getting blood flow to the area. Well, you're just not getting into the right spot. Blood is pooling in areas that uh, we don't need it to and not getting into the actual area where something called gas exchange happens where we dump off the oxygen that our brain needs and we pick up the waste products that it doesn't and there's only so much room in your brain in the in what we call the cranial vault where the brain sits 
And so if you get a bunch of blood pouring in there, there's a whole different set of, of problems that can occur from that, right? That, that's absolutely right. And actually, uh, that's why most of the uh, hemorrhagic kind of stroke patients, they do come with headaches and pain mm. just because the pressure built up in the brain is so much and there's only so much room from a rigid skull to accommodate that pressure. So yeah. yes, yeah. Absolutely. So that brings us to a great point about symptoms, right? So you said hemorrhagic strokes. Sometimes people come in complaining of um, a headache. I would imagine there's probably also um, vision changes that can happen with that, uh, nausea, vomiting, that kind of stuff. Again, only so much room in your skull for things to happen. Right, right. So a, a very easy acronym actually to recognize these symptoms, and it's important uh, for patients and their caregivers, their significant others, family members. Um, it's called BFAST, where um, B actually stands for balance. So if you have somebody with uh, acute onset balance problems, they're just not able to stand, they're wobbly, they're leaning towards one side, feeling dizzy, that's an important sign. Uh, e stands for eye symptoms, like you mentioned. Uh, it could be um, sudden onset of vision loss, which could be in one eye or both the eyes. Um, and then uh, F stands for facial. So your face, when suddenly if it becomes uh, asymmetrical, like drooping on the one side, you're feeling numb on one side of the face, that is an important uh, sign actually of stroke. Um, A stands for arm. So if you have weakness in the arm or numbness or tingling in the arm, um, that is an also an important sign. And the S is for speech. So if your speech just suddenly becomes garbled, um, you are unable to get the words out, you cannot speak, you cannot understand, um, and then T is for time. So it's, it's time is of essence, so uh, time to call 911 as soon as you recognize. What's important in this acronym is to understand that you don't need all of them to be present. Mm -hmm. Any one actually is enough to um, activate um, the uh, enough to call 911, activate the emergency response systems and get you to uh, the closest emergency department as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to make sure that y'all picked up on the fact that he said call 911, not get in your car and drive yourself to the emergency room. You know, yeah, yeah. if if 911 is an option, that is going to be the safest and most effective way to do that. Um, because they're like we said, you only got one brain. It controls all of our body parts. So if it's not getting the oxygen that it needs, we don't necessarily make the best decisions, nor do we have great motor control over a lot of these Correct. things, the balance Correct. and those types of things. So from the time perspective, like it really is of the essence, right? Like it we is. need you to get to us as soon as you possibly can, right? Absolutely. So just... Uh um, so uh, when we say time is brain, what we mean by that is any every minute that you your brain is not getting enough oxygen or nutrients, it's actually putting it at risk of having some permanent damage, leaving uh, that part of the brain not able to recover in the future. So just to give you in perspective, um, every uh, every every minute that the brain doesn't get enough oxygen, they're close to actually uh, two million neurons that mm. are actually dying. So. Um, and imagine how it exponentially rises as the time passes. So we always encourage our patients and uh, their family members who actually recognized uh, these symptoms to, uh, to not to waste time and actually call 911. Um, there are situations where people get some tiny numbness and tingling in the arm or on the face, and 
the general response is let's sleep over on it and yeah. it will get better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it could be just uh, a stroke that's actually developing. So mm-hmm. it's important to uh, just dial 911 and come as soon as possible so that we can evaluate you. Yeah, and I get it. It seems like a big, uh, you know, a, a like a big step to take to go ahead and do that. And you're like, well, what if it's not that? And they're going to think I'm silly. We are absolutely not going to think you are silly. We most definitely want you to come in so that we can intervene if it if it turns out to the to be that. We certainly hope it's not that, but right. we want you there um, quickly so that we can uh, get you taken care of. And we're talking about strokes this morning, and we gave out some really great information about symptoms and kind of this acronym called BFAST um, to kind of make you start to think about some of the things about facial drooping, about arm weakness, speech problems um, that could be a potential sign of a stroke and should prompt you to seek emergency treatment and evaluation for that. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about risk factors. And I actually did have a message come in through my social media this morning that said, my mom recently had a stroke. Does that increase my risk for also having a stroke? Which teases right into our talk on risk factors. Right. And that's a very common question. Uh, if somebody, your loved one has a stroke, of course, you get concerned and, and, and it's important. So, um, you know, um, with that little information that we have, um, of course, uh, unfortunately, we don't know the kind of stroke that right. your mom had. And uh, um, But what's important is uh, certain risk factors for stroke, like cholesterol, blood pressure, uh, diabetes. Um, if you have those in your family and, and if you are suffering from them yourself, that does put you at a risk of uh, stroke. Mm-hmm. But just from the uh, family history of stroke and uh, a genetic point of view, there's not really great number to comment on that. Right. Um, but I think uh, if somebody definitely has a history of stroke in the family, you start uh, getting more active about screening yourself for the risk factors for stroke, which would be mostly the traditional risk factors, um, which we will talk more as yeah. we go on. But that's that's what I would say. Yeah, to that. and and I agree completely. You know, just like we mentioned at the top of the show, there are kind of two big buckets uh, of strokes that we can put things in. There's hemorrhagic strokes, which are less common, but still still part of the process. And then there are the ischemic strokes. And so, without knowing which one mama had, um, it's hard to kind of comment specifically on risk or, you know, if there are any any other genetic conditions that uh, may be running in the family that may increase your risk for blood clots and and that that type of stuff. Um, The kind of take home I would uh, give you uh, for that particular judging your risk is to speak with your primary care provider and let them know that mama just had a stroke, right? right. You know, if it's... um, you know, sometimes we don't always fill out all the chunks of paperwork that we all that we get when we go to the doctor's office as well as we should. Um, but with something like that, you know, letting your primary know that that mom just had a stroke, what kind of stroke it was, so that you can then work on what I call aggressive risk factor modification. Because we can't change who mama is, but we can work on things that are modifiable. And you mentioned you know some of these. Let's just talk about blood pressure. Sure. Um, yeah. What? How does blood pressure and increased blood pressure or hypertension, how does that translate into an increased risk of strokes? Yes, that's a very good question. Actually, blood pressure or hypertension, as we say clinically, is a very important risk factor for stroke. And and it, it depends on how long you've had uncontrolled blood pressure. It's not just one episodic reading. Right. Um, 
And as the blood pressure, the duration of blood pressure in your body uh, is, is last longer, your vessels can actually get narrow just mm-hmm. from the chronic resistance in the blood vessels. And that what predisposes the whole sheer stress on the blood vessels. Um, and same reason goes for the, uh, uh, the hemorrhagic kind mm-hmm. of stroke as well. Uh, with the long duration of blood pressure, our vessels can get weak, and they can actually um, the strength in the in the in the in the blood vessel gets weaker to accommodate that mm-hmm. high resistance, and that can lead to burst of the vessel. So uh, it's really important to control your blood pressure, um, to be on appropriate medications, to work with your primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, generally speaking, we always advise our patients to keep the numbers below 140 by 90, mm-hmm. uh, which is the general number uh, recommended. Um, but yes. Uh, yeah. And knowing that number is so important. You know, the, a lot of times people come to see me in lifestyle medicine clinic and they may be referred for diabetes or something like that. I'm going to look at all of those cardiometabolic risk factors. And, um, you know, I'll say, well, you know, your blood pressure today was this. Is that what it normally runs for you? And a lot of times people don't know what their normal is and that's really important to kind of have that piece of information because you may just be scared to see me today you know and you may have uh, what they call white coat hypertension which I always joke with my patients and say well I don't wear a white coat so you'll be scared of me but um, you know it's a real thing that kind of apprehension that you can have Um, but if you're normally running 140 over 90 and today you're 180 over 100 that's a big change and and knowing that is different than if you're kind of always walking around at 180 over 100 which i don't want you to be walking around with 180 over 100 but it it happens sometimes and that's why we encourage our patients to actually maintain a blood pressure diary Mm -hmm. um, to keep a track on the variations on your blood pressure throughout the day is it high early in the morning when you wake up is it high when you go to bed and that also kind of gives us an idea whether it's uncontrolled or not Exactly. And, you know, types of medicines that we're going to choose may work in, you know, better if we dose it at a different part of the day, you know, those kinds of things there. Um, And, you know, what I like to do in lifestyle medicine, sometimes we reduce those risk factors so much that people don't need their medications anymore. And so keeping a blood uh, pressure log allows us to see that before you start to feel bad, you know, where I go, look, your blood pressure is so much better. Perhaps we need to back off of one of those medications now. All right, we've got a couple callers on the line. So we will start with Caroline on the road and say, good morning. How can we help you? Hi there. I uh, had a heat stroke about 25 years ago. Okay. And I really misdiagnosed because I had a history of seizures but had been controlled for 20 years. And people found me in my car on the side of the road convulsing over and over and over again. So um, when I went to my neurologist, he said, oh, no, you just had seizures. Okay. Um, anyway, time goes by. I start having chest pain. And I have had all the tests, and I have ischemia. And now I'm having what seems to be some indication of a uh, blood clot. In my leg. Okay. So I've had that cleared in terms of an ultrasound, but am I? I mean, can you put these pieces together? You got lots of little bits going on, you know, and in terms of kind of putting them all together in one clinical picture, 
um, that would be that'd be hard to do uh, just with kind of these right. bits and bobs. You know, uh, if I had your whole medical record laid out in front of me and was able to do a little bit digging and looking at the different scans that you've had and the different blood tests and those right. kinds of things, that would be a little bit easier. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you said heat stroke 25 years ago? It was a heat stroke. Well, I guess the core question is, can a heat stroke cause ischemia? your heart okay all right so let's let's take it from there um dr batia what talk to me about a heat stroke what is that yeah so a heat stroke is 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 a very layman word that's used basically to you to uh, imply that suddenly the body temperature is so high that your organ systems and in this case your your brain just is having a dysregulation uh, typically, when the body temperatures are more than 40.5 degrees Celsius or 105 degrees Fahrenheit, that's when your body's adaptive mechanisms start failing. Mm. Um, and, and brain can be actually one organ that can suffer. Uh, patient can have neurological symptoms, seizures, headaches, fatigue. Um, they can mimic a stroke symptom. Mm-hmm. But the core problem in, in heat stroke is the heat exchange. Right. Your body's just not able to right. exchange the heat. Um, but if you have risk factors where your heart is already weak and uh, you have nor- narrow coronary vessels, that acute demand in the body uh, can definitely put you at a risk of having some heart complications. Of course, everybody's uh, body and their their severity of of uh, illness is different, mm-hmm. so it's hard to give a number. Right. But uh, but that's the crux of the problem in a heat stroke. Yeah, Carolyn, have you had this cardiac issue worked up? You know, you mentioned the word ischemia. Have you had like stress test? Um, I did. Um, okay. I had all that. I had a cast, a heart cast. Okay. My arteries are clear, but. I definitely have a ischemia that the left ventricle side, artery side, is thick, and, and I'm, I'm getting less uh, oxygen to my body. To that area. Do they think that it's just kind of some kind of vasospasm that's causing some of that, and they're going to put you on a med for it? I threw a bunch of a bunch of medicines at me, and never told me what they are. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, I'm still... Just yeah. yeah, that's going to be the next best step. Because um, and just, you know, go with a list of questions. Right. So if my vessels are open and not, you know, not narrowed or not don't have plaque in them, that kind of thing. What is causing my heart muscle to not get the oxygen that it needs? And which of these medicines is being used to target that. Um, and, you know, I, I am never offended when a patient pulls out a notepad that they have written questions on because sometimes yeah. you get in the room with us and your brain just has a little, it just has a little little spasm, not not a real one, but it, and you just forget um, the things that were important that you asked and, and make sure you uh, get the answers that you're looking for because they want to tell you. Well, they, you know, I... Read a lot about that, and it's a lot of questions. But the muscle uh, wall is thick. Mm-hmm. And it, gotcha. You know, it, it does not. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and then you. Yeah. And then you can always. Um, have your pharmacist go through your medication list as well and uh, print it out for you and then write out beside 
what this is for, this is for. Um, so that you kind of have a, a good understanding of what those medicines are and why they're important for your specific condition. Uh, so I hope that helped you out, Caroline, and you stay safe on the road, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, we're going to go speak to Vivian and say good morning. How can we help you? Good morning. I would like to know how do we screen ourselves for strokes? Excellent question. All right, how do we do that? So, yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um, So, as we mentioned earlier, um, a stroke would happen suddenly, mm-hmm. and, and it's important to recognize the symptoms. So just remember the acronym BFAST, uh, where B stands for balance, E for eye, F for face, uh, A for arm, S for speech, and T is basically time is important, so call 911. Mm-hmm. So that goes with recognition of the symptoms. Now, um, The other important part of this is um, to screen yourself for the risk factors of stroke. And um, so just remember the eight important things, which is which the AHA or the American Heart Association and the Stroke Association Association has given the phrase uh, life's eight essentials. Mm -hmm. Um, And most important is the blood pressure. So Mm -hmm. keep an optimal blood pressure uh, smoking habit. So. If you smoke, try to work on uh, cutting down and at the best quitting. Um, And then your diabetes. So screening for uh, diabetes becomes important. Uh, So there comes the importance of following up with your primary care doctor, getting annual tests and screening for diabetes. Uh, Cholesterol. Uh, that's a very important risk factor, and and actually it's a risk factor for most of the cardiovascular diseases, which stroke also comes under the umbrella of that broad term. Um, other important uh, uh, things to watch out would be your weight, mm-hmm. so keeping an optimum weight. Uh, people who are uh, obese are certainly at a risk of uh, having higher cholesterol and diabetes, and that uh, together increases your risk of all the cardiovascular diseases. Um, physical activity. Uh, is very important. So uh, engaging in mild to moderate physical exercises at least three to five times a week can actually cut down on your risk of cardiovascular diseases in general. Uh, Sleeping habits. So we always encourage to have a good sleeping habit pattern. Um, um, You should always aim for seven to eight hours of sleep uh, and uh, a good quality sleep. Um, because that also plays an important role in in, in triggering all these important risk factors. Uh, and then the last, of course, which cannot be emphasized more enough than this, but the diet. Yeah. Yep. Um, so incorporating uh, vegetables and fruits as a daily part of your meal is really important. It, it provides you with enough antioxidants. The fiber that you incorporate in your diet can cut down, can make you feel full, and the cravings for carbs can go down, which ultimately helps you uh, up, up achieve an optimal weight. Exactly, exactly. And y'all can't see me because this is radio, but I was giving him a, a good fist pump for the sleep. You know, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that I um, speak a lot on the cardiac benefits of good sleep and that we have to do a better job of screening our patients for sleep disorders, treating them and helping foster good sleep habits among our patients. So to kind of sum all that up, Vivian, there's not one specific screening test that you would do for a uh, for stroke. Um, like, you know, when you go to the doctor and we do a blood sugar test to screen you for diabetes, there's not going to be one specific 
kind of screening test for stroke, but screening for the risk factors, the blood pressure, the blood sugar, the cholesterol, all of that together is going to kind of be the screening package for looking at your risk of having a stroke. So I hope that okay, helps you out. You. You're so yeah. welcome. welcome. Thank you. Have a great day. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMC. And joining me today is Dr. Batia. He is a neurologist also at UMMC. And we've been talking strokes today. We've had um, some great callers who've asked some great questions about screening for strokes, prevention, those types of things. And we'd love to hear from you. All right. We've gone over the BFAST acronym a couple of times because it is that important. Um, but that really answers the question of, you know, what should you do if you think you're, you or someone else is is having a stroke? It is go through those things, those signs, the balance, the vision changes, the facial um asymmetry where maybe one side doesn't match the other. And if you're like, well, how do I know? You know, ask them to smile or puff out their cheeks or raise their eyebrows. All of those use facial muscles. And so if one side does what it's supposed to and the other side doesn't, that's a a good marker there. Um, Speech, whether that is um, garbled speech, slurred speech, or just the loss of the ability to speak, um, can be a thing, and then that time uh, time factor of, of getting into the emergency department as soon as you can. So let's say you recognize those things. You call nine one one. They come and get you. What are, what's going to happen when they get to the hospital? How do we diagnose these things? Right, right. So, um, like you said, the first important part is to get these uh, patients to the closest emergency department as soon as possible. And the reason that's important is one, of course, to evaluate all these signs and symptoms if somebody's having their blood pressure and things like that, but um, they uh, anybody who comes to the emergency department with the suspicion of stroke needs a, a CAT scan. Of you the brain. get in the machine very quickly. Yep. yep, and 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 the idea is that you have to differentiate as soon as possible whether it's a bleeding kind of stroke or it's a clotting kind of stroke, um, because the treatment varies and differentiates right there. Um, people who do come early on, like uh, within four and a half hours of last known well or the first or the last time they were seen normal. We can offer reperfusion therapies um, in selected patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a big avenue. So tell me what that means. What's reperfusion therapy? Right, right. So um, broadly, um, reperfusion therapy includes a, a medicine, a clot busting medicine, which is known as TPA uh, or Altiplase. And um, selected patients who come within four and a half hours, and after we have ruled out their bleeding risks and complications, we can offer this treatment mm-hmm. to them. And essentially what it does is it in the body, it tries to break, break that clot mm-hmm. and, and reestablishes that blood flow in the part of the brain which was blocked. So that's one. The other most uh, recent advances that have happened in the field of the stroke, sometimes when uh, people have a, a large vessel in the brain that's clotted, uh, there's a big clot sitting there that's just stopping the blood to flow in the brain and again, in selected patients, within the first 24 hours, we can offer something called mechanical thrombectomy. And to break it down, what that means is going with a catheter through your wrist or through your groin and just going all the way up through your neck vessels into your brain and trying to retrieve that clot, mm-hmm. either with a stent retriever or just aspirating it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the, the idea is uh, the sooner that you can come, these therapies work best. 
uh, when when people come as soon as possible before the permanent damage has mm-hmm. happened because the chances of recovery are more. Mm-hmm. But this is what comes under the broad umbrella of reperfusion therapies. Yeah. And, you know, if folks think back to the beginning, when we were talking about the two kinds of strokes, you can see, or I hope folks can see, why getting to us soon and getting that initial image, that, that CT scan that you're talking about is so important, right? Because you've got clot strokes, you've got bleeding strokes. And if the main treatment we're using is trying to break up clots and you have a bleeding stroke, that's not going to be helpful Correct. in that particular situation. Um, so it's, it's really important, you know, that we, you get here soon, we get you in the scanner soon so that we can see what's going on and, and design the best uh, treatment plan for you. What if it is a, a hemorrhagic stroke? Right. What are the treatment options for that? Yeah. So traditionally, and actually till date, the most important, uh, way to control your hemorrhagic stroke to expand further is to control your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, with with every day new developments are happening in the stroke field, researchers are trying to find out what can be done. Um, in, in certain select patients, lo- particularly depending on the location of the bleed, the surgeons can actually evacuate the mm-hmm. blood as well. But then that's a, a discussion that uh, that involves multidisciplinary right. teams. So your stroke neurologist, your, your neurosurgeon, the family, we all discuss and offer these treatment options. But broadly speaking, for a hemorrhagic stroke, blood pressure, uh, watching if the patients deteriorate, making sure that the blood doesn't expand anymore. If you're a good candidate, if, it's, if the bleed site is at an accessible location, right. we can actually try to take it out. But... Uh, but always remember, not one thing fix all. So not everybody fits in the same uh, umbrella. So it's it's a discussion. It's, mm-hmm. It involves uh, keeping a track of your signs, symptoms, your scans. Um, but definitely, uh, we always tell patients, whenever you have suspicion of stroke and you're coming to the ED, um, don't chew tablets of aspirin. Mm-hmm. Because we are not sure what kind of stroke you're right. having. And sometimes if you're having a bleeding stroke, just those extra tablets of aspirin can make matters worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely no antiplatelet therapy there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an important distinction, right? Because we did kind of make the analogy to brain attack and heart attack. And we absolutely would tell people if you think you're having a heart attack, most of the times we want you to chew up some aspirin to kind of help that uh, blood be a little bit thinner in that particular area, but not so not in the case if we think we're having a stroke. It actually is not going to be uh, what we want to do. The take home is that we get to the emergency department as soon as possible so that we can figure out what type of it one if a stroke is occurring, what type it is, and then get the correct treatment plan um, developed. You know, I always hear uh, or get asked about risk, um, you know, side effects of different medications and those kinds of things. Um, but the best way to, to to mitigate that is get the correct diagnosis. You know, make correct. sure we're doing the correct thing first. Um, but there's always going to be risks and benefits to any procedure that are done, and um, that's why it is done in conjunction with the multidisciplinary team with the family present with the person if they are able to to interact with um, their healthcare team to be able to make those good decisions about what the best treatment plan is going to be moving forward and then if when you get admitted to the hospital 
your nurses are going to do some things to you that you may not like. Uh, we're going to put you in certain positions. We're going to ask you not to adjust those things. Normally, when you're in the hospital bed, we you, we just give you the um, button to the mechanics of the bed, and we let you put it wherever you're comfortable. But if you're in with a neurological issue, we may set it at a certain um uh, elevation or different things and we don't necessarily want you messing around with that kind of stuff and it's not because we're being mean it's because we're trying to um, pay really good attention to the pressure inside your head and how we keep that regulated uh, and do all of those different kinds of things there um, so it really does take a, a village so to speak when we're um, caring for uh, a stroke patient um, in the acute situation meaning it's uh, just occurred but then also in the uh, more um, chronic uh, recovery after a stroke, there are going to be a lot of team members that are going right. to be involved there. Your speech therapists uh, are probably going to be there, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, as well as a whole host of physicians, um, all the way from the neurosurgeon to the, the neurologist, and then um, your nurses as well, and dietary. takes a whole team there. Dr. Batia, I would like to know about a TIA, you know, I hear people say all the times, well, I, you know, grandmama had a mini stroke. What are those the same thing? And if so, what is that? What does that mean? Right, right. Very good question, actually. So TIA or the or also called transient ischemic event, some people call it as mini stroke. It's the same spectrum of the whole stroke of, uh, disease or pathology. But what it means, well, how it differentiates is it's just a temporary cessation of blood flow to your brain. It's a temporary stoppage of blood flow to your brain. And for that amount of time, your, ba- your brain manifests all these stroke symptoms. So again, your symptoms could be the same as be fast. It's just that it's, it's temporary in nature. What's important for patients to recognize is when the stroke symptoms start, you don't know whether it's going to end up as a TIA, mm-hmm. your your symptoms are going to get better on its own, or it's going to go on and progress into or develop into a full stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so we always encourage patients, whether it's mini stroke or it's any stroke symptom, um, you need to come and get mm-hmm. yourself evaluated to the emergency department. Um, in fact, people who, are, uh, who have TIAs or mini stroke they are at higher risk of having a full-fledged stroke in the next 90 days. And within that 90 days, the risk is highest in the first 48 hours. So uh, it's very, very important when people start developing these signs and symptoms, um, you need to rush or, or call your family or call 911, get to the emergency department. Your symptoms may resolve, mm-hmm. but you still need all the workup that any stroke patient would get. Um, And again, this is to assess your risk factors. Mm -hmm. We need to watch you for the next day or two, make sure you are safe and and don't have another attack that actually full-fledgedly develops into a stroke. Um, So that is what a TIA is. The approach is the same as Mm -hmm. any stroke. The risk factors are the same. It's just transient in nature. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good thing for folks to remember is, you know, if you've had a TIA and you start to have symptoms again, don't just discredit it and go, well, it's probably just another TIA. Like, it'll be better in a little bit. I'm just going to wait it out. No, ma'am. No, sir. Come on in. Let us um, evaluate because it very well could not be. And 
if you've learned nothing else today, time is of the essence when you are having stroke symptoms there. So always, always um, come in and let us check those things out there. Um, you know, a couple of other things that we haven't gotten to touch on, but that can increase risk for a stroke um, would be um, atrial fibrillation, Correct. right, which is a fairly common term, abbreviate AFib is what a lot of people will call it, where the top chambers of the heart are kind of just doing a little quiver and the blood can kind of pull there, thicken, and then when the heart pops back into a normal rhythm, shoot out a clot. So that's why a lot of people are on um, Coumadin or Eliquis or some of these um, uh clot uh blood thinning yeah anticoagulants thank you for that i was like what is that word called it was stuck in there um to to lower that stroke risk and that's why it's important to take those right and and that again uh, comes the importance of getting yourself uh, evaluated Mm -hmm. so an important part of stroke prevention is your cardiac evaluation uh where we actually try um whether you're in the hospital or you follow up with us in the clinic to evaluate your heart whether uh, it is at a risk of atrial fibrillation or whether you're having episodes which you're not even aware about. Mm-hmm. So you may need something that we call Holter Monitor to just monitor over a long time mm-hmm. your basic uh, cardiac rhythm. Yeah. And and the treatment really changes uh, if you have one of these things, uh, particularly atrial fibrillation, because the treatment is then not antiplatelet, it's anticoagulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so atrial fibrillation is an important risk factor for stroke. It can be, it can manifest as minor strokes or mini strokes, mm-hmm. like you earlier mentioned, or it can just be a full-fledged stroke. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really important again not to sit on those symptoms. You know, if you're feeling um, short of breath, is often one thing that'll make people come in with AFib. You know, where you're having this heart abnormal heart rhythm, um, or feeling like your heart's just skipping a beat or beating abnormally, or just feeling tired, um, dizzy, weak, those kinds of things should all prompt a a visit so that we can evaluate your heart, which directly relates to your brain. Those two things, um, they're best friends in in the body system and making sure that they are are working as well as they should. And we also talked briefly over the break about um, carotid Dopplers. So a lot of times people will ask about those as a a screening test or what, you know, what that is. Um, What are the carotids? Yeah, so uh, carotids are actually two big vessels in our neck that uh, supplies our brain. Um, They are very thick, large vessels. Um, So somebody who comes with a minor stroke or TIA, we like to do vessel imaging. And carotid Dopplers is one of the modalities that we can do to check those vessels. And it essentially looks at how how fast the blood is flowing, mm-hmm. how uh, how narrow your artery is blocked, how stenosed it is. And that kind of uh, predicts your risk factors for stroke. And then if it's sufficiently narrow or if you're having symptoms with narrowing, we can offer some treatments to fix it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is a, a tool to actually look at how narrow your, your blood vessels mm-hmm. in the neck are. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially an ultrasound. You it know, is. if you like, don't be when you hear big blood vessels in the neck, that can often sound scary, but it is an, an ultrasound. So if you've ever had an ultrasound on anything, if you've been pregnant, had an ultrasound on your belly, same wand and, and technique, but just on your neck. And essentially, if that that roadway is more narrowed or has um, a detour in it, then they, then we can um, intervene there in certain cases. But it's a good piece of information to, to have. And it's often part of cardiac workups that are, are done for other things there. Wow. 
it always goes so fast on the show, doesn't it? Well, I hope we gave out lots of good information for our listeners. If you uh, didn't catch the show in its entirety and you want to go back and listen or just review all of this really good content that we gave you this morning, you can do that by um, listening to our podcast. So you just search for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app and you'll have us right there. If you didn't get your question in today, you can always email me fit at mpbonline.org. I've been your host, Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Dr. Kunal Bhatia, and you've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.